0: Welcome to the People of Canterbury Baptist, a podcast where we meet the people of Canterbury Baptist Church in Melbourne, Australia, hear their stories and explore ideas relevant to our church and community. My name is Stephen and for today's episode, let's meet Anne. Hello Anne, welcome to the People of Canterbury Baptist podcast. It's good to have you here.
1: Thanks Stephen. Good to be here, I think.
0: Yeah, well, you see, well, you're telling me earlier on that you are a bit of a long-time listener, so you've listened to most of the other episodes and so finally you get to sit in the hot seat.
1: I do, I do. Yeah, (laughs) about time.
0: So let me ask you the question I ask everyone else, which is, where were you born?
1: Um, I was born at Preston and Northcote Community Hospital in Preston.
0: So does that mean that you were raised in the northern suburbs of Melbourne?
1: No, no. um, We lived at a tiny little place called Wallaby Creek. Um, It wasn't even really a, a town. It was near Flowerdale, near King Lake. Um, it, my dad worked for the board of works, Melbourne metropolitan board of works in their water catchment area. Um, and at that time, uh, they had like a, like a little settlement, I guess. And dad was superintendent. He looked after all the grounds and mum cleaned with me as a baby, but that's, that's where they were living when I was born. Yeah.
0: So, so just paint, paint a quick picture of your family. How many, uh, how many siblings did you have?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm the youngest of six by a long way. So a little bit of an afterthought, um, I've got three sisters and two brothers. One brother's passed away a few years ago, but, yeah.
0: So you, you're born in the northern suburbs of Melbourne but, but raised in Wallaby Creek. Are you are you a country girl?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, it's not very far from the city now, but at the time it was all dirt roads and probably an hour and a half or so. Now it's probably about an hour to get to the northern suburbs of Melbourne. Um, yeah, yeah, mum and dad had moved a little bit before I was born. Um, they'd immigrated to Australia some eight years before I was born, but they'd, they'd become naturalised Australians uh, before I was born. So they were sort of Aussies.
0: <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> yeah. What what country did they immigrate
1: from? From Germany.
0: Ah, so you're of German heritage? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yep. what motivated their move to Australia?
1: Uh, they wanted a better life for the family, so already big family. Um... And they were displaced persons. So they had lived in a part of Germany that is now Poland. Uh, Dad had served in the Navy and mum was um, pushed out by the Russians when they invaded uh, on foot. They lost everything that they had grown up with and were taken in by a woman who just took them into their home Uh, and, yeah, ended up living there for some time. I think as displaced persons, they were allocated some housing. In, in,
0: this is all in Germany? In Germany,
1: yes. But right up near the Danish border, they lived in a place called Flensburg, which is right, right up on the border. Yeah. So, um, but all the family, yeah, the, most of the family had moved obviously to what was then West Germany. Um, yeah, west of Berlin. I had one auntie that was on the other side of the wall. But yeah.
0: So your father was a sailor for the German army in World War II. Mm. Did, did he ever talk much about his experience fighting for the Germans in World War II?
1: Yeah, uh, not, not a huge amount. Neither mum or dad spoke a lot about it. I think they're pretty traumatized. They're pretty gentle people and didn't generally necessarily agree with everything that was going on. Uh, dad was probably lucky that he was a sailor. Uh, I think he ended up in the foot army. Um, he wasn't in the Nazi party, I don't think, but, uh, in the foot army, um, towards the end of the war, but he was injured. He was shot and he, when the war finished, he was in hospital. Um, and mum and dad had had, they got married in 1943. So in the middle of wartime, um, dad had, they'd got engaged and he'd posted a ring or something, some incredible story that got lost, never, ever got to her. Um, but yeah, they managed to find each other, which was incredible given what was going on, that mum was sort of, you know, fleeing by train and foot, um, from where they had grown up. Yeah.
0: Any, any family stories about that journey to Australia?
1: Yeah, lots of family stories. My mum was pregnant with my sis, next sister from me, so her stories are that she vomited her way oh, no. <laughs> to to Australia. But, yeah, one of my brother's uh, – had little cars and it was very rough, the seas were really rough and he would have these cars, you know, swishing from one side to the other as the waves were rolling them around. Um, Yeah, other than that, I don't know too much, but I remember the boys talking about that. They loved, you know, loved that experience. Uh, My elder sisters, older sisters I think found, I don't haven't heard much about the journey, but they found settling in here really, really difficult because I think my older sister was about 11 10 or 11 um and the next sister was a year younger so yeah they they had difficulty initially mum and dad um came to bonagilla or bone it's actually meant to be said but all the migrants call it bonagilla um and they lived there most people came through for maybe two or three weeks till they found work and were shifted to whichever state or whichever country area. Uh, Mum and Dad, Dad was multilingual, so he could speak lots of different languages. So he got a, a position as a supervisor in the migrant camp and Mum was really good with children and she was actually a teacher and she got a position in the childcare there. So they worked there and lived in the little tin corrugated hut for about two years uh, which they arrived in January, you can imagine, Aubrey, Wodonga in the middle of January from middle of winter um, in a tin shed basically. Uh, yeah, amazing courage really to do that. So yeah.
0: Aubrey, Aubrey, Wodonga in a migrants camp to Wallaby mm. Creek.
1: Mm. Uh, there might have been a move in between. I think they might have relocated to Sunshine or somewhere like that in between and then on to Wallaby Creek. But they had purchased the block that they ended up building a house on uh, at Flowerdale about I think three or four years after they'd arrived in Australia. But it was all just native Australian bush, yeah.
0: How big was that block?
1: 600, over 600 acres. So
0: they bought a 600-acre block of Mm -hmm. Australian bush. Mm -hmm. Is this the area that you were basically raised in? Yes. Okay, so your earliest memories are are of the Flowerdale, the, the, the Flowerdale block. Yeah. So, paint a picture. I mean, here at migrant family from Germany, they've they've now landed in this 600 acre block. It's it's undeveloped, I guess is yep, what you completely. would say. It's it, Um. So they've. So what your parents then had to to to, to clear the trees and build a house. What yeah. what was the process there?
1: Yeah. So they were living at Wallaby Creek. It was only about probably three or four kilometres from the block. Um, so they, my eldest brother and dad would get on a bike on weekends with an axe and cut down some trees and cleared, they may have had some help, I don't know, um, but then once they'd cleared enough, they moved a, dad purchased a, an old army barrack that he moved onto the block that we lived in, and by that stage there was eight of us. Uh, my eldest sister is 18 years older than me, so she moved away and that next sister quite soon. Uh, so we lived in this little, yeah, it was th- basically three or four rooms, I think, uh, and then later they built on to it. So it was still there uh, until it was, yeah, destroyed by fire. Um, years and years later, uh, all of that was was still there and that's where they had lived for something like 50 years, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. This must have yeah. really
0: shaped the family dynamic and the family memory to have the, the story of, of, of uh, being refugees out of Germany uh, at the end of World War II, landing in Australia, then having this block of land, hand clearing it with an axe. Effectively building a, a house on that property and then living there for 50 years. I guess, do you feel a particular attachment to that Flowerdale, Flowerdale block?
1: Yeah, we did, really did, but it was all destroyed in the Black okay. Saturday fires. They, mum and dad had just moved away. They needed to go into care. They couldn't manage there anymore. But yeah, that was, it still is really sad for me because that's my only childhood memories were all there. Yeah, and it was beautiful. It was just, yeah, it was a really free way to grow up because we would, we, we were expected to help a lot, but um, we could roam, you know, through the bush. We would make little, you know, fairy houses out of moss ferns in the creek gullies and all sorts of stuff that kids in the city just don't even imagine doing. Little tea parties, you know, sitting on moss I remember my next sister up from me and I doing that, um, and just yeah, we had cows. We had uh, we would hand rear little calves. Mum milked a cow uh, that we she would make butter and cottage cheese, and had huge vegetable garden, orchard, killed their own beef and chooks. For meat, so we they were almost. I, I realise now how lucky we were growing up because I think we ate almost completely organically and self. Mum and dad were just about self sufficient, not quite, but yeah, there was still the odd trip to Preston Market for all the delicatessen items and all the you know the <laughs> stuff that you can't grow yourself. Um, yeah.
0: So it sounds to me like your, your memory of your childhood is quite a happy childhood.
1: Yeah, it certainly was. Yeah.
0: Um- was it – did you have many friends outside of your immediate family or was the lifestyle one in which re, in which your playmates really were your siblings?
1: Uh, we did, but the school I went to, so primary school, flat old Primary School, when I was in grade six, we had 11 students. That was the cutoff. If it dropped any further, we would have been closed, and four of us were in grade six. I was the only girl. There were three boys. There was no one in grade five. So the playmates weren't you couldn't choose your friends as such. It was whoever was there, and I learnt to play. We and but but we all joined in. There was no sort of, uh, you know, leaving people out. We would play. I'd play cricket and footy and rounders and whatever with the boys because they were my age. Um, wasn't too bad at bowling, actually, back in the day. <laughs> but, yeah, we had fun. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I learned a huge amount because I was pretty academic as sort of time went on. Uh, and, yeah, I, I'm not too sure that I did a huge amount of learning. But I, I was studious, but just the challenge of one teacher having to teach all of those year levels um, and actually, you know, get them to sort of expand their knowledge and and stretch them probably was pretty challenging. So yeah, so that was primary school, and then so so yeah. in
0: high school then yeah. Um, actually, just quickly, whereabouts did did, did you go to high school?
1: To Yale yeah, High School. So okay. I did an hour's bus trip each an hour there and morning an hour back. and night. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah, because we live beyond the bus line, so I walked for about a k, and then um, the bus for about an hour.
0: And so. Was it in high school that, that, that you discovered more of your academic drive?
1: Yes, I loved it. And more friendships too. Even though it was a small high school, a year, 12-year, I think there was about 220 students in the whole school. I think we had 13 or 14 in, in our final year at school. But, yeah, made. I'm still in close contact with two or three that I went to school with there. Um, yeah, no, that was, yeah, I, lo- I loved school. And I loved being challenged. I just wasn't great under pressure. So didn't probably do as well as I should have in the end, but yeah.
0: So a, a great student, but but didn't necessarily have the exam results to show it because no. the moment the pressure
1: hit. Put in a lot of effort. I was, probably wasn't the absolute smartest person, but I put I always tried really hard and did well because I put in the effort, yeah.
0: Were there particular subjects that you were attracted to?
1: We didn't have a – Really, a huge amount of choice about what we did. We did, you know, maths and science. Although I did a bit of a mix, uh, I was quite good at maths and science. So I was the only girl in my year twelve year doing chemistry and uh, the other sort of maths and things. I was, yeah, um, I did. I was probably leaning towards those, but I also did Australian history. And right through the other year levels, we did geography and, um, you know, you did handcraft, needlework, woodwork, you did all sorts of, you didn't really have massive choices. It was pretty much set because it was also dependent on what teachers there were employed at the school. So, um, yeah, like in my year 12 year, I had one teacher for two subjects and he resigned in July. So we were, I was without a teacher for two subjects in the final few months of the final year of school. So that was probably slightly <laughs> instrumental in the marks not being quite as good either. Yeah.
0: <laughs> in your high school year was years, were there was there a growing sense of ambition or direction for you, a sense of where you might want life to go for you, particularly in, in terms of your profession?
1: Oh, not 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 particularly. And I think given my age, it was you sort of had choices like nursing, teaching, clerical. You know, and there was a few other options coming in, but it was for females particularly that was sort of how it went. I did. I actually wanted to do speech therapy, um, speech pathology. That's what I wanted to study. It was very hard to get into at the time, and I didn't have the marks. And so then I, yeah, you know, I left school at seventeen, which was when I'd finished. I was young. Uh, applied for nursing, got in, but couldn't start till I was eighteen. That was the criteria. And I didn't turn 18 till July, so I was accepted into a, a, an August intake for nursing, um, and it was just expected in our household that if you were no longer at school, you were working, which was fine. Um, we just – mum and dad had a really strong work ethic. They worked hard all their life. Uh, so I got a job at a poultry farm, which was near where we lived, and it still exists apparently. It's been there for a very long time, <laughs> picking up eggs, grading eggs, uh worked full time, and I actually really enjoyed it and I think it it's good to have done something like that that was basic labor um because some people that's all they do all their life, mm. and I had the privilege of being able to study and have a professional career, whereas other people don't have that, and they were just the most beautiful people they were country people it was yeah so i I actually enjoyed that time it was good for me, yeah.
0: Why speech pathology? What as a seventeen or sixteen year old looking at a career and seeing speech pathology was there? A, was it, is there a story behind how how that became attractive to
1: you? Not really. I, I knew I wanted to do something in health. Yeah, yeah. So not really. You know, and just- so
0: once once the speech pathology door wasn't going to open for you, mm-hmm. then the, then the next logical step was to head head towards nursing.
1: Yeah, and I had an older sister that was a nurse as well, so it was kind of you know listening to her and. Um, talk about her experiences. That was sort of a a logical choice. And it gave an opportunity because I was hospital-based training. actually trained where I was born. um, Gave an opportunity because my mum and dad were nearly mid-40s when I was born to be able to earn money as well as study at the same time. Hard, but it was that, you know, being able to support myself and not totally dependent on them, which was a, a good option as well. I actually got into one of the first intakes at, I think it was Pitt, Preston Institute of Technology, one of the very first nursing intakes, tertiary, uh, and so I had both options. And I chose to do the hospital-based training because of needing to support myself. Uh regret a little bit because I never went back and did my bachelor, never had the degree, just my diploma. But, um, you know, I've done lots of other things with it and I've enjoyed all those years of nursing, so... Yeah, it was good to me, really. And
0: yeah. spoiler alert: although we will get into, into more detail later in our, in our conversation, um, but you but you, you have then continued to be a nurse or, or in the nursing profession in various shades and in different ways from then on. So this this was the beginning of a lifelong journey for you uh, in a professional sense.
1: Yes, that's right. About f- now forty. Uh, we don't have to. Two years. What- <laughs> We don't have to yeah, put, yeah. put
0: numbers on makes these things. makes me old. That's okay. We can, uh, we can leave some mystery in that area. Yeah. Um, so, so let's just park you there. Here you are doing hospital-based training and nursing, doing your diploma. We'll just kind of leave you in that place. But let's go back into your home life, into your, your childhood and primary
1: school and high school years.
0: Um, how much did church play a role in your upbringing?
1: Yeah, a, a really big part. Uh, our access to church wasn't always easy, but my mum and dad were – um, Christians. Dad had actually left the Catholic Church, which was a little bit controversial, married my mum, a Protestant, and they were Lutherans, both Lutherans. Um, so we were christened in the Lutheran Church, and then I was confirmed in the Lutheran Church as a 13-year-old. Uh, I remember mum and dad, my, one of my earliest memories is mum and dad praying with me before bed when I was probably three or four. And I could still rec- – and, and it was in German because I didn't speak English until I went to school. Um, so, yeah, that's a really nice memory. And we only went to church – I think it must have been about once a month. Um, we were going to, like, Doncaster Lutheran Church. I can't remember where us getting a car fell in there, but it was something to do – it was transportation that was probably part of the thing, and then Greensboro Lutheran Church – And then mum and dad, when they passed away, were still attached to Greensboro Lutheran Church. Um, But I did Sunday school by mail. So I had the one teacher, Sunday school by mail. She lived in South Australia for all of my primary years uh, and she would post me things and I would fill them in and do the reading and colour it in and then I'd post it back and then it would come back with stickers or a comment or Whatever on it. Um, and that was pretty special because I kept in touch with Mrs. Eckerman uh, f- till I was, oh, till my children, I can't remember, they might have been you know, even high school. And then I lost touch with her. She must have passed away, I think, but um, just didn't st- stop answering my letters. So that was pretty special. But mum and dad, um, despite only going to the Lutheran church once a month, The local hall where we lived at Flowder would have ministers come uh, and preach, and they were Catholic, Anglican, Presbyterian, all your standard sort of (laughs) options. Um, And we would go and just sit in the hall with whoever else was there. And so, yeah, it was pretty, it was really important to mum and dad, really important. And we would always, you know, grace, and I don't remember sort of praying a lot with them other than that, but before bed, didn't meal times and certainly, yeah, their faith was really important to them all through their life and, you know, yeah, in, they've passed away. But to the very end of their life, really important.
0: Was faith something that grew in you through those years or was it more a an extension of family tr- uh, tradition and family habit?
1: I think initially it was – Family habit and tradition, um, I really enjoyed learning, so I enjoyed learning about jesus and and things of faith as well, and certainly the confirmation was me declaring that I believed. I never doubted that God existed, never doubted that Jesus died on the cross for me, but I don't know that other that you know that it was a relationship with Jesus as such in my everyday life that. Occurred in my late teens, early twenties, um, through influence of someone else, which we'll <laughs> yeah. get to. Which yeah, we'll get yeah. To. So
0: that's it's it's a good marker for, uh, yeah. for for a future conversation or a future question that I can ask you. Um, this uh, this Sunday school by correspondence was that part of of the Lutheran Church or was that independent of the Lutheran Church? Do you know? I,
1: I'm actually not sure about that. It was called Sunday School by Mail, so. I maybe I was hooked into it because we lived sort of remotely, I guess, to the church that we attended. Um, that's Possibly that's how that came about. It was a really good option. Yeah.
0: Uh, you also mentioned that uh, until you started going to school, you spoke German. Mm. So German was your first language. Mm. How's your German today? Not very good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not very good. I can understand unless someone's say, speaking about politics or something really, you know, in in a professional field, then I struggle. But I can understand everything. Uh, My grammar is terrible because I've never actually been tutored in German. Like it was just mum and dad would speak German to us later and we would all answer in English. And my siblings were speaking English. So I don't remember it being a struggle to pick up English because I think I was already hearing it at home. And uh, so I just went to school and started speaking English. And then mum would, you know, mum and dad speak German and I would speak in English. So I don't remember the transition being a a difficult thing, but yes, I spoke only German at home before I went to school. Um,
0: So up until their dying day, were your parents, uh, did did your parents speak German to each other and to you at home? Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah. 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 And in fact, my dad had dementia and he went, more I mean he'd worked so many years in Australia speaking only English, but he went back to German became quite dominant for him uh where he was cared for before he died. The staff learnt the Lord's Prayer in German so that they could pray with him after my mum died, which was only a few months till he passed away. but yeah, they would pray with him in German, the Lord's Prayer before he went to bed at night, so yeah. That was pretty special, yeah.
0: That is special, and I think yeah. that's a, a special note just to to to, uh, to pause our conversation on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've taken you up to uh, to, to your, your hospital training, to your nursing training, and uh, and I guess life's going to open up for you in, in all sorts of interesting ways. So I'm interested mm-hmm. to uh, to trace the lines of your life uh, after high school with you. But thank you for spending this time with us, and we look forward to hearing more from you soon.
1: Sure. Thanks, Stephen.
0: And thank you to everyone who is tuned in to listen. This podcast is produced and presented by Stephen Field on behalf of Canterbury Baptist Church, Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email cbc at canterburybaptist.org. If you're a member or a regular attender of this church, how about you get in touch with Anne directly and thank her for her contribution today. The music is a song, The First Step, by Andrew Naylor from his album Two Stones. This album is available wherever you purchase or stream your music. Join us next time as we continue our chats with the people of Canterbury Baptist.